and Design at Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. Today's guest makes me feel free. I can't help that one, and you'll see why in a second, because my guest is Malcolm Bruce. In addition to being the son of legendary bassist Jack Bruce, he is himself quite a gifted and accomplished musician. In this episode, we figure out where we're going wrong. We discuss growing up as Jack Bruce's kid, and when he began writing music and other things. This was so much fun because it was the epitome of a casual chat. We talk about the generational Bruce Baker energy, get a brief history of cream, and repeatedly bring up spandex for some reason. Malcolm has recently released an album titled Heavenly Cream, and it's a very different type of cream tribute. It's an acoustic album that really makes you focus on the brilliant songwriting more than the extended jamming of the band. And in addition to Malcolm, the album also features guests like Deborah Bonham, Peter Bullock, Maggie Bell, Joe Bonamassa, Bernie Marsden, Paul Rogers, and a lot more. Malcolm also reveals some other projects that might possibly see the light of day in 2024. So check out the album on Quarto Records at MalcolmBruceMusic.com or wherever you get music these days. Follow him on Facebook. Instagram and X are at MalXBruce. Follow the show at PerformanceANX on Instagram and X. Reach out there or the PerformanceAnxietyPod at gmail.com. Buy stuff at PerformanceANX.threadless.com or contribute to our coffee intake at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. And now prepare for more than just a spoonful of Malcolm Bruce on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Okay. Hi, it's Malcolm Bruce here on Performance Anxiety. I'm here to tell you about Heavenly Cream and also my new solo album, Fake Humans and Real Dolls, which will be out in 2024. My uh, connection from my phone into my board, just if, if I connect before a certain point in the chain, I guess, or, or turning something on, I have to disconnect my phone from everything and then reconnect it or that I won't get any sound. Ah, is it, is it an iPhone or is it something? It's an, an iPhone. iPhone. Thanks Apple. Uh, did you read the small print? <laughs> you know, <laughs> apparently no, I can't, I, I don't read anything below yeah, 72 points. Soul. I think, I think you sold your soul uh, somewhere yeah. along the line. I, I, like I did. Like I did. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> you know, I had an, I think I'm pretty sure I had an Android to start with. And yeah. uh, we made the switch to Apple because of some deal going on. And now, so I, I can't switch it's still, back. It's the best. It's the best. I mean, I, I, I'm i talking to you through a, a, a MacBook Pro and I do all my music stuff. I run Pro Tools and edit ah. videos. And, you know, it's just, I mean, PCs are great. Don't get me wrong. Like yeah. if anyone's, if anyone's <laughs> listening out there, the Bill, Billy Gates. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're a nice guy, aren't you, Bill Gates? But anyway, that's a whole other story. He did. Uh, don't sue me. Don't sue me and don't force me to eat genetically modified insects. No anyway. kidding. That's a whole nother podcast episode we could have. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's good that people are waking up to it as well. Exactly, exactly. And maybe we should have that podcast. I don't know. We'll talk afterwards. Let's do it. No, absolutely. <laughs> Let's do it. I've got I've got some people that I know and people that know people, and we could get a lot of people together for a really interesting podcast in that 
direction. Well, yeah, and why uh, can I ask you why? Why do you call yourself performance anxiety? Is that is it just like a an an intro, an ironic thing, or is it does it come from something specific? It's you know it it had multiple reasons um, to start with, and none of them matter at this point because it's I've gotten past it all. I started doing this podcast as aside from another podcast I was doing because I'd made some good contacts. It was a sports podcast. And one, one of the guys I had on was a guy named Rick French, who is on the uh, board of directors and the nominating committee for the rock and roll hall of fame. He's also, oh. yeah, he's also, um, uh, I know, I know Sherry, uh, down there. Um, because you know, my dad's inducted. So yeah. whenever I go through Cleveland, she, I, I sort of send her a little message and she goes, okay, you can come and, Come and see, can you come backstage and see Beyonce's pink boots we've got in a drawer, you know, or whatever. <laughs> that is um, amazing. So, well, uh, yeah, she's lovely. She's, she's always kind of um, giving, me, giving me passes inside and stuff like that. So it's been fun. Well, anyway, sorry. Oh, no, no, no problem. Rick, Rick is a part owner of an advertising firm, French West and Vaughn, but he's also um, a part owner of a minor league baseball team, uh, the Daytona Tortugas. Who uh, really? It's it's really cool. He's just such an interesting guy. So when I was doing the other podcast, he came on to talk about baseball, and we kind of got into music. And so when I started doing this podcast or getting the idea to do this podcast, I reached out to him, and yeah. uh, and he's helped me reach out to a few people and, and get some get the ball rolling. Really. So when I was thinking of a name. I was like, I'm kind of nervous to talk to some of these people. So I'm going to have a little bit of, of this, but. Maybe that's a through line I can have for each of these people is, you know, have you ever gotten performance anxiety and, you know, what did you do to get over it? But the problem was I constantly forgot to ask people that. And so uh. it never became a through line for anything, in the, but I had already done the RSS feed, made the logo and, and I was like, oh, it's too late. So, But I mean, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I think we've all experienced anxiety at different times and then we can overcome it. Yeah. But also the more you do something, the more comfortable you become. So, you know, if you've never met a fam famous person before, you might go, Oh, I'm meeting a famous person. I I'm quite shy. I'm a bit anxious. If I, what if I say the wrong thing, they might poke my, poke me in the eye or, or, or shout at me because exactly. they're a famous person, you know? And then uh, as more, the more people of that nature that you meet, the, you realize that they actually um, are just kind of normal people to, yeah they just have a know, different uh, job sort of, yeah and you know and, and we can really respect somebody for having great success in life but but uh great success in life is so subjective as well i mean exactly. we have a media and we have all this thing that's constructed that we're supposed to believe in a narrative or whatever but the guy like like the homeless guy and i i love it in america not love it the fact that people are homeless but i love <laughs> the attitude in America, like you're walking down, I was in Philly and I'm walking along the street, some homeless guy is like carrying his life on his shoulder, you know, and I say, Hey, how's it going? He goes, Oh, great, man. Yeah. I'm doing great. What a beautiful day. And it's like such a positive thing. And oh, I was yeah. just like, wow, man, you've like literally made my day because you're of your energy, even though the guy's got nothing and he's going to freeze to death in the winter. Or right. Just, might literally. Yeah. You never know where you're going to get, that kind of dignity and that kind of uh, energetic strength coming from whether it's a famous person or a, a nobody or whatever, all of that stuff's so meaningless, really. Exactly, exactly. Everybody's human. Everybody has 
we've all have different experiences, but we all go through some similar experiences as well. And so if you can find something to touch on in an interview here or, or just in daily yeah. conversation, it, it kind of eases a lot of anxiety for me. Yeah. And I think the world is changing so much right now. I think all these narratives are kind of coming, all, everything's coming together and we're starting to see clearer and clearer, like what is important, what's not so important. I sure hope and so. And I think, right, yeah, I mean, we really have to, we've, we're confronted with that, like without going into it right now, because it's for another podcast, but like <laughs> these kind of sociopathic people that have uh, leveraged themselves into positions of influence and power when we didn't elect them to be telling us what to do and what to eat and how to live and what to inject into our bodies or whatever it is. Right. Exactly. So, you know, and it's like, wow, you know, are we just going to go, Oh, well, they told me to just go along with it. So I'll just, I'll stop thinking about it. And well, they must, they must, there can't be a conspiracy. I mean, they must know what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's just go along with that. narrative, Or let's in a loving way, let's, let's be up for questioning everything, not in a yeah. tight, aggressive, angry way. Cause that doesn't, that's just the, more of the same, but just in a loving way, self-loving and, lo and loving community and the world and other people and respect for boundaries and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think we're in a really, really interesting time. And after about three cups of coffee, <laughs> I mean, you know, et cetera. So there you go. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so, and just to wrap up that thought, what I've kind of discovered with a lot of people who don't dig into things is that they assume that money equals power equals knowledge. And it doesn't, it almost never works out that way. So. No, and we have to stand on our own two feet. And, you know, it's, it's so imperative right now, you know, yep. um, we have to transcend. We have to go beyond what has come before and really discover like what's possible within ourselves and also in terms of what's going on on the planet. Uh, so, I mean, it's a really, really exciting time, but quite scary on another level that people are just, um, there's this great Monty Python. So I don't know whether you've watched Monty Love Python. Monty Python. So there's this great one where they, it's called the architect sketch and they're, 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 they're all going in like with their little models of uh, like a, I don't know, like a, a holiday complex. And the guy goes in, okay, so they stand on the conveyor belt here and they, and they're taken past beautiful paintings of uh, lovely scenes. And then towards the rotating knives. And I remember that one. It's <laughs> yeah. a good analogy for everything that's going on right now. It really is. We are living out the old Chinese curse of may you live in interesting times. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen. And it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more. Plus, an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. Well, again, thank you for doing this. This has been fantastic so far. It's a pleasure meeting you and uh, good night. No, um, yes, exactly. Goodbye. <laughs> um, great to meet you too, Mark. So, uh, yeah, so, let's, uh, whatever you want to talk about, we can talk about. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's dive into it. Oh, before we do it, can you tell me who's... Who's like grooving behind you? These two. Oh, um, on stage. I keep forgetting to change that background. That's um, the band Pussifer. So um, okay. it's uh, let, me, let me get my uh, everything's backwards. So that's Maynard James Keenan from Tool, and oh, yes. that's Karina Round. So uh, Karina Round sings. She's a secondary singer in Pussifer, but she also does a lot of backup singing for Tears for Fears and does her own music. And she her voice is insane. But Pussifer is kind of a side it's definitely a side project for maynard and okay so this is so since we can do more uh links here i can email you more links i'll I'll get into it a little bit and i want to thank you for following me on on instagram because that's where this is posted here i do a lot of concert photography and yes that was you no sorry i'm making the connection there's some great shots that i had a quick look at uh whenever it was um some really lovely shots actually thank you very much thank you um pussifer does uh little Less heavy rock than Tool. Some, some, some they get, they get into a little electronica and all, and they do this. Like their last few albums have had themes, and they did this tour, and it had an alien theme and like Roswell and and and, and like Bill, not necessarily Bill Gates, but you know conspiracy, uh, you know GMOs and all kinds of weird yeah. stuff in this in this production they they do, and. Since I do a lot of I, I do a lot of live photography for a local music blog, but also 
for prior guests on the podcast. Like they'll, I'll see they'll come into town and I can reach out and like, Hey, I'll, you know, if you can get me in with a photo pass, I will give you, you know, all the shots that I edit. So one of the, the, the shows that I got was I was able to shoot Pussifer. So funny thing though, I don't have, I haven't had anybody from Pussifer on yet, but I did have Laura logic from x-ray specs and, and essential logic on through a guitarist, a uh, guy named Rob Marshall. He's, he's does this, project called humanist which is amazing the guy's an incredible guitarist i would highly recommend checking that out he um, got me in touch with this guy kurt pagan davies who is best friends with karina he was on tour just kind of hanging out with karina at the the shows that i was at because i went to two Pussifer shows but we didn't meet till afterwards and he got me hooked up with Laura Logic, and then uh, we were going to meet that with at this Pussifer show, but he had to go back to the UK, and so. And they're called Humanist. Well, he, uh, the the original connection was through a band called Humanist, yeah. And he's about to release a new album in uh, 2024, but he was originally in a band called Exit Calm, which is amazing. If you like, like mid era Verve. Yeah, humanist, uh, not yeah, hum yeah. not humanist. Uh, Exit Calm, you'll you'll love. Humanist is he's it's like a one man band, but he does have a lot of guests on, like uh, Mark Lanigan, uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, um, Richard Sexsmith. Who else? Yeah. Is, um, Dave Gahan. So he he's he's had a lot of really cool people on oh, his album. I, a friend of mine is in um, in uh, Depeche Mode. He's the second keyboard player. Oh wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's that's yeah, amazing. The, Interesting. That's the long story that will probably get edited out of the podcast. My, my ears break up because I've, I'm in the middle of making a, a new record that's going to come out next year, and it's called Fake Humans and Real Dolls. So, yes. So, so it's not humanist, but it's got the word human in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like, and I'm like, oh no, don't steal my word. It's my word. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I love Rob. We still, and it's funny because I stay in touch with the, with a lot of the the guests that I've had on, and Rob is one of the ones that I contact a lot and he's just such a sweet guy and his music is beautiful. He just put out uh, a song on the Jeffrey Lee Pierce sessions album that just came out with Pete and Leah from black rebel motorcycle club, um, stranger in our town. And it's just, Oh, it's amazing. I'll check it out. I've sort of heard of him. I mean, I have heard of him. So, but that doesn't mean anything cause I'm kind of just sitting here practicing scales on the piano and, <laughs> Not talking to anyone, so, uh, <laughs> well, so you know, I might have heard of him. I mean, it doesn't it, mean anything if I have. It's you know. quite possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another bit. It's his name, Igor Stravinsky. Yeah. If it's not, I have never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> And before we jump into the last thing, another band you should check out, Modern Guild. They're in London, so go check them out. Oh, sometime. okay. We got a lot of that going on. Oh yeah, Modern Guild. No oh, that's kidding. a great name too. <laughs> They're, they've been on the podcast too. They, they're awesome. And that was a weird connection because that was, I reached out to Scarlett Page, Jimmy Page's daughter. Oh, I know Scarlett. Oh, I love Scarlett. She's, she's been on the podcast. So, my, so you know, my mom, sorry, just to interject my, so my mom's best friend or my mom's friend in the late sixties was Eric Clapton's girlfriend. And that is Charlotte Martin. And then she split up with Eric, got together with Jimmy and they have Scarlett. So yeah. they were together for many years. So um, actually was at Charlotte's house. She had a 
a little uh, party about a month ago, and Scarlett was there. So yeah, oh, wow. and Jimmy was there as well. So. Oh my gosh, he's he's a unicorn. If I could ever get him on the podcast, that'd be that I, I could end. You never know. He's a really friend. He's a lovely guy. So you know, well, just reach out to his people. Uh, well, here's <laughs> here's what's really weird. So I had Scarlett on because I you know I'm a I went to college for photography. So we I wanted to talk to her about that. I said, well, all right, we're yeah. going to have to talk a little bit about Jimmy, but it's going to be focused on you. I just want to know a little bit about growing up as Jimmy Page's daughter. I mean, that's crazy. So we had a great talk and then she suggested that I reach out to Scarlett Sabet. So Jimmy's girlfriend. So I was like, Oh yes. Okay, sure. So I reached out and, uh, she asked Scarlett page about it. Scarlett's like, Oh yeah, it's great. You just talk. He's like, he's, he's not going to focus on Jimmy or anything like that. It's, we just, you just talk about what you do. So Scarlett came on and Scarlett is the oh, one. So she's a, is she a, a poet or an, or something? Yes. Yeah. She's a writer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was the one that introduced me to modern guilt who I had on the podcast a couple months after that. So. Wow, it's the six degrees of separation. It's incredible. It really is. And they were so awesome that, I mean, they sent me the shirt. So I just got a package in the mail one day and it was a shirt and an autographed flat. So I was, you guys are awesome. So, But the music's really good too, which is a bonus. Oh, wow. Check it out. So speaking of music, yes. I think that's why we're here. And that's <laughs> not, we're not trying to figure out how you and I are separated by six degrees of Kevin Bacon or anything. So, yes, exactly. So, or, so, or vegan bacon, right. <laughs> six degrees of faking. <laughs> so, you grew up famously as in how the dare you say I grew up, I'm still a child. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, all right, sorry. No, 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 this is great. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. This is one of the best ones so far. So, you obviously grew up famously as the son of legendary virtuosic bass player Jack Bruce. And obviously, music played a huge role in your life. But was music inevitable for you as as a career or was was it something that maybe your parents weren't so excited about you getting into based on their you know especially particularly jack's experiences in the business yeah i think it was inevitable for me it's not inevitable for everyone right. that has that grows up with a successful parent and is a musician but but yeah i think i knew from very early on that that's what i wanted to do i i that was what I gravitated towards. And I just loved playing music, got into classical music and studied piano and still do and studied uh, composition a little later on. So, you know, it just became my life as well. And, but it wasn't like my dad was sitting me down saying, you will be, you will be a musician. <laughs> or you won't be a musician. Like it or not. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or you will not be a musician. Uh, even if you want to be, no, it wasn't like that. It's just very, and you know, it's one of the things I love about my dad and, and that was great about him was that he, you know, in a lot of other issues and, and layers and, and within his personality, but he was very allowing in terms of people could be themselves, you know, and like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And, and as a musician, he was very much like that with his own bands and the collaborations that he met. He had throughout his career. He yeah. he wanted people to discover and find themselves in it, rather than being. You know, some musicians are very controlling. You're like, all right, you must play that note. You must play. It. And at times, he could be when it was something that was important to make a statement about. But the majority of the time, he was just a very uh, you know, find your own way, discover for yourself what it is that you want. And so, um, 
I don't know. You know, it's, it's that's my experience of my dad. You know, I think other people will have a different experience. You know, like, I, I mean, I have a daughter, so I kind of, I'm now, I've seen it from the other way around as well. But, you know, it's that thing. It's like, how much does a parent control what a child does as oh. opposed to the child controls what the parent does yeah or whatever it is you know i know it's like if you have and if you have a dog are you the owner of the dog or is the dog really the owner of you you know <laughs> when it comes down to it it's probably the dog you know for um, sure in my house yeah <laughs> so yeah it's just i mean it's it's hard to define it specifically you know i had my whole relationship with my dad apart from him being my dad was was based around music and whether we'd be improvising together at home or or me helping him uh, with his records, or, you know, I did a little bit of touring with him as well. Yeah. So, and he was just, you know, go, go out, my son, and find yourself. And don't sell me, <laughs> send me any uh, unpaid bills. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. No, I mean, yes, I think it was inevitable for me, but not necessarily for everyone. I, you know, I guess some people grow up with famous parents, musician parents, and they sort of do the opposite, like maybe... Well, like um, Scarlett, char- you mentioned. Chartered accounting or something. Yeah. Like <laughs> Politic. Yeah, I mean, Scarlett's amazing. You know, she's... You know, and I can imagine it must be really interesting for you because she's shot some iconic photographs over the years. You yeah. Know, uh, album covers and various different things that, that really have become were from a time when all of that stuff meant something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now I don't think people even, you know, look at anything. They just kind of go go on Spotify. And yeah, they scroll. Just scrolling, man. Yeah. yeah, no, I was the guy that invented scrolling. Wow. Oh, I hate you. Scrolling. <laughs> I hate that guy. But so you didn't actually start off playing bass, though. I think you started off on piano and keyboards. That's what you learned first, right? Yeah, I think it was around five. I was I started to have classical piano lessons and did that maybe for a year or two and then sort of stopped doing it and then went back to it about the age of 10 or 11. Um, you got burnt out at five? What's that? You got burnt out at five and went back and <laughs> It was all those early starts playing scale <laughs> 12 hours. I mean, at five, you know, it's just <laughs> never to work. Like, ah, oh, man, I can't take it. It's just, I've had enough. No, I, I, so, I mean, I think it was just the discipline. Some young kids have that discipline and other kids don't. And my parents, I would imagine they didn't want to push me, but I did. I had that kind of grounding. And then subsequent to that, I've really gone into it and I'm still really going into it at this point. But yeah, around the age of eight, I took up the bass. And then around the age of nine, I took up uh, the guitar, the electric guitar. Okay. And then I learned the violin for about seven years from the age of 10 to 17. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you get, you get a little bit of everything going on. Yeah. I played the sax, the alto sax for a couple of years as well. And yes. Yeah, so, so just exploring it all. But I mean, at this point in time, I just, I really feel like it's my writing that interests me the most, like writing. And then all of these tools are really just the tools to express those ideas, you know, Although I do think I have a sound, my own sound on the guitar and my own sound on the bass, a lot of it is to do with the choices I make in terms of what I'm expressing. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's the way I, I'm perceiving it. But I have no idea whether that's just my narcissistic ego. <laughs> or whether, whether, you know, I guess that's the next. This is the interesting thing. I find myself 
And I guess a lot of kids of famous people find themselves in, a little bit in the shadow. And so I'm just at this point where I really want to get, you know, my next record come out next year. And and um, I want to really get it out there and promote it properly and see if if there's that thing. You know, I, I, I've got a sound. I've got a voice as an artist. You know? Yeah. Because I, because I think I do, but I've never pushed it, found a way to push it out properly into the mainstream. Whereas the things that I've done in tribute to my dad, people have always inevitably been more interested in within the industry so far, you know, because yeah. it's a business. You know, we can sell it. But I mean, yeah, exactly. that's great as well. We can, you know, I think we embrace that in the same way that anybody would embrace it. You know, I'm proud of what my dad achieved. It's incredible. Um, so, um, so it's lovely to be able to sort of honor him along the way, which is what this Heavenly Cream record is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But did you spend a lot of time growing up in, in, in the studio with your dad and, and, and learning about the studio? Because I, I was listening to some of the older music, like I, I'm looking at and I think your first credit was on Bill Ward's solo album along the way. Is that right? Um, one of the first things, certainly one of the sort of uh, collaborations with a, a proper, you know, a major artist. Or and that was, yeah, that was, I was 16, I think. And that was keyboards too. I mean, that wasn't bass, that was piano. I think I played a bit of acoustic guitar and piano. Uh, yeah, I'm on piano with, of a, on a track with Ozzy Osbourne, um, <laughs> which... That's a hell of a way to break in, man. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting situation because Bill, obviously Bill was the drummer in Sabbath and then got really screwed up with drugs and alcohol and all of that stuff. Yeah. And then was kind of almost dying and then turned his life around, you know, incredibly. I have so much respect for him in, in that regard, you know, that he completely turned his life around and then sort of discovered a real talent for as a, not just a drummer, but all this other stuff that subsequently he's achieved. And so I kind of met him through my, my dad was on that record as well. So I kind of flew over to LA with my, dad and I played on played on that record but it seemed like it was that period it was a period of time where Ozzy had you know uh disappeared off the map as it were let's put it like that yes. politely. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with mirrors and mounds of cocaine no. you know anything like that no no mention of that whatsoever um but you know I think that was when Bill was making this record that ended up being uh, Ward One along the way, I think it's called. Yes, and it's a gorgeous record. It's an amazing record. It's got incredible stuff about it. Yeah, it really um, is. But Ozzy guested on it, and then I believe that as Bill was about to kind of make this record and make major statement with this record, Ozzy and his label came back and eclipsed Bill because Ozzy was the bigger name. And yeah. you know, you don't want two records coming out at the same time with. Ozzy Osbourne guesting on one, but he's trying to release his new album at the same time. So I think it was a bit of politics that kind of pushed, didn't allow Bill to really get that record out in the way that it could have been. Because I think it's a, a world-class 
project, you know. It, it is. It's fantastic. But yes, I was a kid. I was like, that was one of the first things I did. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. What I like is is going back and listening to your older work is that it, it kind of follows my musical tastes. Like the now sounds... In, in when it came out, 89? That was a big hit in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I never got any money, but somebody, when I went to Tokyo, said, oh, you, you're famous here. You know, I'm like, okay, cool, man. Can you write me the check? Um, <laughs> That's the sound that I loved back then. I mean, that that metal, the, the, almost like that L.A. metal. Well, a lot of that is to, do, to be fair, a lot of that's to do with Rue Phillips, who was the singer in the Now. Um, yeah. But also, he he was one of uh, Bill Ward's sort of chief collaborators on that record. And and Rue is Rue is from Wolverhampton. He's not really doing music anymore, although he has great voice. And and we ended up doing this project Lost City together. Yes. Um, I mean, that's an interesting time where you had these kind of, you had that Midlands, Wolverhampton, Birmingham rock scene, and then it all kind of got sort of lifted up and transplanted to Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, and so you've got like Aussie and all these people. And Rue was part of that. Like, I I mean, I remember Rue telling me he went with his wife, Tracy, and they were living in a tent, you know, on the beach and just they'd gone, right, we're going to go to LA and we're going to make this happen. And he literally somehow connected with Bill Ward, you know, but he he just went for it. I mean, it takes some guts to do something like that. Oh, yeah. Kind of, but yes, I think credit where credit's due, like a lot of that sound came from Rue's voice. You know, he's got a great voice of that kind of rock kind of style that's not really in, in vogue anymore. Yeah, um, unfortunately. I mean, because I still like that stuff. 
but oh yeah i grew up with I, it. And I think it be, but i also think it could be that, that there's an evolution of it you know i think maybe you know less spandex but like still some of those musical elements because yeah. some of the you know those musical elements are really really vital and and wonderful but the spandex has got to go yeah keep the sound ditch the the visuals yeah so, well, we'll keep some of it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just from up from the waist up. Yeah. You know. <laughs> the first time I, I I heard Lost City was when I had Kofi Baker on a while back. And so oh, cool. yeah, so doing the research for him, I've you know, I've discovered Lost now, City. Was he, did he have a did he have a bowl? Was he eating while he was talking to you or was he well behaved? Because <laughs> he's it's, normally like you know, broccoli. <laughs> I've got to have my broccoli and my eggs at the right time. <laughs> I love the guy, man, but he's like, yeah, he's got to be he, eating. He has a routine. He, he does have a routine. He does. <laughs> I have a routine, too. Yeah. He was. Right. But he sent me the... He, <laughs> This is a side. Afterwards, he's like, "You want to see the video of me getting hit by a car?" <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm like, "Yeah, okay, sure, send it to me." <laughs> and he did. He sent it to me. <laughs> I think he's probably shown that video to... Now, is it the first one or the second one? Because I think he's been hit, like, at least twice. <laughs> I'm not sure. I know there's a lot of screaming involved. No, it's awful. It's awful. Like, <laughs> it's awful, but I think, like, yeah, I, I have a feeling that if you're cycling on a on a push bike on the freeway or whatever, you know, it's a, it's a risky... It's business. almost inevitable at some point. If that's part of your routine, you really... Well, also, like, in my experience of driving, even in a car in in the U.S., is a little... You know, we have a lot of accidents in the U.K., but I think it's even more extreme in the U.S. Maybe it's because there's more bigger population or just everyone's driving. There's less public transport, maybe. There's probably yeah. a lot of differences. But I've been in a couple of crashes. I was on... I was one in one in LA, some guy just drove, uh, me and my friend Steve, which some, we were driving along going from Orange County up to Hollywood or wherever it was. And this car rammed us in the back and then just went like that and just kept going. And it was, it looked like it was a car. <laughs> it was like the old SNL skit, you know, um, Adobe, the car made out of clay. Oh, yeah. literally. It was this car <laughs> that like, it didn't have a number plate or anything. It was just oh. the kind of, weird thing you know oh my god <laughs> <laughs> we were okay i mean it was the car was like a thousand bucks worth of damage or something but we were yeah. luckily we just shook up a little bit but no actual physical damage but yeah but yes it, it, it's great yeah i mean i i get delayed on my way to work at least once a week because of some accident it's ridiculous but they haven't uh improved the roads to go along with the increasing population where i live so it's uh it's inevitable. That's going to be the theme of this show. Everything's inevitable. <laughs> the inevitability of the inevitability of inevitability. Yes. So, all right. So, Lost City. Again, I really got into that when I was, you know, researching for Kofi and, and going back and revisiting it. It's I again. It's kind of what I grew up listening to. I was in college, I think, when that came out, and then, and so that was about the the sound that I was really into. So I, I wish I had found it back then because I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, it was a short-lived project for a number of reasons. You know, I, I love Kofi. He's like my brother, but every time we've tried to do something together, it seems to not 
last, you know, and I think I think it might just be that we need to kind of do our own thing and maybe we'll do something together again at some point. But um, maybe it's the Bruce know, Baker connection because you know, Cream was the same way. There's a lot of deep, deep kind of energies going on or something. I don't know. Um, and sometimes you just have to you know, stand on your own two feet, do your own thing. And maybe once both of us are more established in what we're doing, we can do something and there's less pressure. And But there's always that. I mean, I've just I've just won a court case for the last project I was doing with Kofi where the manager stole it all from me. Um, oh. And I had to go through litigation for four years, won the court case, but we can't, you know, we're having to try and track him down. It's just like, there's something about can happen if you're associated with something that's very successful and and little, you know, like sharks come in, they're kind of swimming around and going, yeah. what can I, how can I manipulate this situation to my own benefit? For them, it never really works out. You know, it, it it might seem to for a period of time, but eventually karma catches up with people. And, you know, we have to do things from the kind, from a loving place and from a respectful place because yeah, because otherwise it's just something will not work. I, that's my experience. I could be wrong. I mean, there's plenty of examples where pretty evil stuff goes on and they get away with it. Yeah. But I don't know that... I think long term, I just don't really think it's sustainable to steal something that doesn't belong to to you, you know. And, well, and so I try, I try not to do that myself because I want to be clean and clear and and feel good about and be able to sleep at night yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. Like you're saying, you know, it, it's whether it, it'll catch up to you, and depending on what you believe, and it, it, if it doesn't catch up with you now, it, it catch up with you afterwards. In this life or the yeah. next, it's, it, it, I, I believe it'll, it's going to catch up with you at some point. So yeah, I mean, there's subtle, you know, there's subtle levels to experience, aren't there? I mean, a lot of people go through life, and you know, they they have loads of coffee, and then they smoke loads of cigarettes, and then they drink loads of alcohol, and there's nothing wrong with those things per se. But if it's if they're being used to not experience the subtler energies of the self then you can kind of just go, all right, I'm going to bulldoze my way through something. I'm going to, all right, I'm just going to be unfaithful to people and mm-hmm. and lie and do all of these things. And you can get away with it, but eventually, but what you're, even the karma of that is that you're missing the more intimate, subtler experience, whether it's between you and other people or whether it's with yourself, you know? Yeah. So that with even, even if it doesn't catch up in terms of financial reward or whatever, there's you, you you're gonna be missing love you know if yeah. you if you behave like that um exactly. but anyway so so yes i uh me and kofi have it's, it wasn't kofi's fault um that situation but but it was unfortunate and it's still it's still ongoing uh but anyway there you go so Say la vie. yeah all right so well i'm glad you guys won that case so maybe that'll that stuff can come out and says at some point but i do have some questions about what you were doing. So after lost city, I, I found some other projects that you're involved in and I'm trying to figure out some of this stuff because I found a band third degree, which I kind of like. Yeah. He found out today that said she couldn't stay as he sat down to read her reasons his heart slowly found to pieces he owns a photograph in the three-page epitaph hollow loves as good as dead 
You won't forget the words she said she's gone. And I thought it had a right record. Yeah. yeah, it has yeah, like an yeah, Our yeah. Lady Peace kind of feel to it, which I really I love Our Lady Peace. So I, I really enjoy that. I, it sounds, the dude's voice sounds exactly like Rain Maida, but I don't, the only credit I see on that, and it's because it's hard to find, is you on keyboards. I don't know anybody else in the band. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, they've wiped themselves off the, they've wiped themselves. No, there was a really interesting situation. So I was staying in uh, Colorado in Denver. I was going between Denver and Boulder. I'd met couple of guys called James and Charles Hambleton. So Charles ended up winning a, an Oscar for a, a documentary or something. I can't remember, but, oh, wow. but James was still in that area and they owned and ran the Fox theater and two Largies, which were, which were two clubs side by side in, in Boulder. And there was this whole incredible scene. I think something to do with their dad who had been the president of Pan Am or something like it was wow. one of these crazy stories. They were lovely guys and they kind of took me under their wing a little bit. So I was staying with them some of the time. And then I was also staying with my friend, Jim Bush, uh, no relation to the other Bushes in, <laughs> in our reality, but, um, but Jim's a lovely guy. He's still around and he had, he ran a recording studio in Denver in the sort of, um, if you know, Denver, like the, the kind of warehousey business district part of okay. downtown. Okay. And he had this kind of funky old studio there and he hooked up with these guys and there were two brothers and a cousin called, they were the Johnsons. So it was JP Johnson, who was the lead vocal, Aaron Johnson and the other Johnson. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and so, but they were like really lovely guys and really talented. Uh, and JP was the singer, guitar player, sort of songwriter. And, uh, and his brother was the bass player and the cousin was playing guitar so the cousin went on to have a massive hit record produ producing The Fray. Oh, wow. Yeah. He ended up sort of becoming a really big, like Mr. Big, you know, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I'm not going to answer your email because I'm so big time. No, I'm he was a lovely guy, but I, like he just became this huge kind of producer. I don't know whether he's still doing stuff. Sometimes people just have one, I want, one hit as a producer, sometimes yeah. they kind of become this huge thing. But anyway, they, he ended up doing that. But they kind of came from money, so they had a lot of money. Uh, their family had a lot of money, right. and they were just teenagers, but they had kind of, you know, unlimited funds to make this record. So they wow. approached me and Jim, and we tracked the record. Then they flew down. This is third degree. You know, they, they flew down to Nashville and mixed it with some big one of their bands that they cited as an influence was the marvelous three i think they were called okay yeah and so i think they got the, the mix engineer that had mixed that band's records to mix their record and wow. and i ended up doing a little tour with them but then they changed their name called to god or julie see if you can can you google yeah. god or julie god right now or julie, um, look it up but I mean, as I say, because their parents or their grandparents had like $642 trillion, <laughs> you know, uh, in the bank, maybe they just decided to become like, I don't know, uh, stock exchange, you know, like investors or, or they, I don't know, you know, maybe they grew out of this music lark. I, <laughs> I mean, they were super talented, but you know. But well, that particular Americana thing that was going on at that time, end of the 90s. They um, put out two albums. 
Ah, okay. uh, what doesn't kill you and this road before one in 2005 one in 2007 and that's it that's it it's john paul anderson and at or john paul johnson and adam johnson after they relocated adam. from denver to new york and enlisted drummer aaron stern and that's, that's right guitarist matt hogan so if you then touch check out aaron johnson I, he was Got the a link. producer the fray I believe oh, um, he's now like producing, I don't know. Well, he's got 21 producing. production credits. Let's see. Hey, that's a lot. Man. That is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> starting back in 1991 with, uh, capitalist casualties, the fray in 2005, the fray, the fray. He's done a couple things. Oh, wait, that's probably a fray song. Cause it shows those big compilations. Like now that's what I call music. Those. Wow, if you make it on that, you know you've made it. He's on 60, now that's what I call music, 66 and 67. Whoa! And, uh, let's see, so yeah, he's done a buttload with the fray. Katie Herzig, I don't know who that is, oh, yeah. but... Sounds um, good, though. Yeah, he's, so, yeah, he's... he's stayed, but, yeah, they were all lovely guys, you know, and and talented, but I guess... It's just a funny game, isn't it, the music business? Like, if you're a musician, then you are a musician for better or worse. And so, like, with me, if you Google me, you'll probably see a few things like this. But a lot of the things I've done, you won't see because they're more under the surface and different sort of uh, areas of the business. Yeah. And I also feel like I'm just beginning like my i'm so excited about my new record next year and i'm but i'm writing opera and i'm like there's so many things that i want to do and i feel like i'm just coming out of the shadow of my dad and um yeah i'm finding my way at this point i i go by my own set of rules whereas maybe the johnson brothers and cousin thought well if we're when we're 23 years old now we, if we haven't made it by now we better pack <laughs> up our bags and go back <laughs> Get a real job, you know, because that's the attitude that some people have, whereas other people will, would be like, that's who I am. I'm not going to do anything else yeah. for better or worse. If I, if I don't become famous, I don't care because it's who I am and it's how I express myself. So, yeah. So maybe we should, maybe you should get those guys on your podcast. Maybe, find maybe. Out, hey, find out what they're doing now. Maybe they could finance my next movie. Maybe they, <laughs> maybe they can <laughs> sponsor the podcast. Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> and your movie. Exactly. With I haven't I haven't got a movie, but I mean <laughs> well, you've got the money and I'll write one. Exactly. <laughs> let's let's one thing at one thing at a time. Let's 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 finance oh. it first and then we'll write it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> at, at this time it sounds it looks to me like you are working a lot with your dad throughout a lot of your career. And I worked a lot with my dad throughout my life. And in my experience, it was, it's a great experience, but it can also be difficult working with family, but you did so much work with your dad. It, it seems like all the good experiences way, must have way outweighed any difficulties you, you found. I mean, is, is, was that the case for you or, or? It was, it's very complicated. So I was the first family and my dad remarried and. So that caught, that can cause a few issues around that kind of thing where right. uh, the second family uh, get things that the first family doesn't get and all of that kind of stuff. So there can be a little bit of resentment that builds up and then you have to work through those things and you release yourself from it. So those things can have an impact for sure. And, you know, my relationship with my dad was 
it was a difficult relationship. He was highly strung. I'm a little highly strung. We're both musicians trying to write music and find our way. And, you know, even somebody, you know, believe it or not, even somebody as successful as him had his challenges in the industry, you know, because he had that level of success early on in his career, 1966 to 68, kind of, um, you know, or, or 69, so like a two and a half year period of time that cream were in existence and then subsequent to that he had lots of amazing success but never on that level so so he and he was always trying to find his way back even if he was doing incredible jazz projects with tony williams and john mclaughlin or whoever which stand the test of time as some of the greatest jazz music ever created he was always chasing the level of fame that he'd had a taste of so he had his struggles and, you know, people didn't, it's, uh, the industry is a pretty, can be a pretty nasty industry. You know, if it chooses to turn its back on you, then suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute, I'm the guy that, you know, I invented this stuff, man. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. We don't care because we like this guy better. We think this guy dresses better or looks better. Um, so, you know, go away now, you know, but we'll take Brighter all your spandex. stuff. Yeah, exactly. You're not, you don't look good in spandex, man. And it's the 80s, you know, <laughs> get over yourself. Get 20 well, years beyond spandex. From, shoot me from the waist up. No one will know. No, sorry. We need the full, the full Monty. Man, um, no, I mean, imagine yeah. if this, imagine if AI existed back then, the man, they could have a whole new career for people. It's well, you know, you never know. It might have already. Existed. <laughs> I just don't know. It's weird. We've been zipped up in our pods and the holes were drilled and but part of it was to forget that that was what's already happened so we're just kind of we're already in the hologram man we're already <laughs> in the matrix just consciousness. Yeah. honestly it is, but, but let's not go there because that'll be a bit scary but that's the next no, podcast yes exactly i yes so i think my dad had his struggles and also he was you know i, I was I think about this a lot. Like you're a you're a human being, and especially the male of the species. Like you, there's an inevitable testosterone-based alpha-ish aspect to being a man, you know. And even in the dynamics of a family, the son kind of has to leave to go away and establish his thing somewhere else. And so, yeah, yeah I think when you work, it's just like that we're animals you know we have to there's an element of truth in that now if you're really emancipated and resolved as a human there can be a little bit of a better situation and a better dynamic but generally speaking from both perspectives it's important to make that separation somehow so when you're working with your dad and you're in the same industry and anytime you do anything oh you're jack bruce's son oh uh, oh wow okay what was it like growing up is it- <laughs> yeah exactly oh question number two hey which sometimes okay. kind of makes doing oh. these podcasts difficult because i don't want to ask you the same questions no, no, anybody's no, asking no because i've worked very 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 hard to go beyond all of that like upsetness and all yeah. those things you know um i think it's really really essential and maybe i'm Maybe I'm lucky, you know, maybe it's a, it's been a great opportunity for evolution in that sense. I have not had an easy life so far. You know, people might think, oh, you're, 
dad was rich and famous. It must have been really easy for you. You said, dad, buy me a car. Dad, I want a holiday. I want a house. I want a career. You know, oh, yes, son, no problem. Well, what else would you like? Right. Um, you want a, a harem of beautiful women? That's not a problem. Just call this number. one 800 be a famous person's son. You know, or whatever it is. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so, like, you have to get over all of that. And you have, because that's not a real, that's not a real life. You know, you have yeah. to find your own way. So, you know, I have, I mean, I'm, I can be honest about it. I, I've done therapy and I practice meditation. I do transcendental meditation and and I do yoga and I stay humble, even though I'm confident and I know that I've got infinite potential. I see everybody else in the same way. I don't think I'm better than somebody else because I, I might think, oh, maybe I've actualized myself in a certain way that other people so far haven't found that. Mm -hmm. um, but then I see other people that are much further on if we are to frame all that stuff in a linear progress, progressive context. But really, we're just all, we're all completely pure potential, you know, so that's the journey. And maybe the, that kind of abrasive relationship with my father and the challenges of trying to find my own self within a situation where he is taking up a lot of the space, maybe that actually gave me an opportunity for growth because I was confronted with a lot of stuff <laughs> along the way. <laughs> so, um... I'm not saying I'm alone in that, but I th it has been quite a unique path so far, you know. Yeah. In that, in that. So, um, and I and as as I say, like, I'm really feeling like I'm just the beginning of my journey creatively, and and the, over the next period of my life, I'm going to really make some progress in that regard. So, well, so yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it came with its challenges. That yeah. relationship. I mean, I can only imagine, and and 99.999 percent of the world can only imagine what it would your situation must have been like, but you do have, so you, you, you have an, this foothold in, in cream and you have another foot in your solo work. And I, we're going to kind of go back and forth on this at this point, because there's this new cream tribute album out heavenly cream, which is yeah. a really different take on cream's music. And, You've done cream tributes before with with Kofi, with Will Johns, who's also on the podcast. Sons of Cream and the music of Cream. cream is much different because those were a little more uh faithful to the heaviness and the virtuosity of of cream and i feel like heavenly cream strips it down a little bit not takes away some of the virtuosity but maybe because you're stripping away the like the electric guitars and the bass and the, the insanity of the drums a, a bit it focuses more on the songwriting mm -hmm. of the band 
And I think absolutely, yeah. And I think that's that's one of the things that gets lost. I, I feel with the band is the songwriting because you had three virtuosic players there, which is also my theory. Is that's one of the reasons why they only lasted two and a half years. You can't have those three personalities, those three virtuosos, as the only members of a band and expect it to last. Yeah, I mean, it was a different time. They were kids. Um, yeah. They were they were working class kids. You know that. I mean, nobody had. I guess the Beatles had um, had a level of success, but I don't think anybody could have predicted any of that stuff. And um, oh, and then for th- three musicians that were, as you say, they were they weren't pop stars. They liked fashion, but they but all of that kind of happened in a very short amount of time. I mean, I was looking up this this great photograph that somebody sent me of uh, the Graham Bond organization. Yeah, that my dad was in and Ginger was in Dick Axel Smith, who who I knew very well. And Graham Bond on the Hammond organ and the sax, and and uh, but they're all like spotty and wearing these like thin black ties and s- sort of mod mod looking suits and and ge- basically the geekiest band <laughs> you could possibly like you wouldn't think that like that's like 1965 and then a year a year and a half later they were this kind these kind of fashion icons yeah because that's essentially what happened they took the circuit that they developed with Graham and, you know, they tried to have success with Graham and they they were hugely respected on the live circuit in the UK, but, but they weren't a pop act. And then suddenly they kind of took that infrastructure and then Eric became part of it and they, and it exploded, you know, but then, but I'm not sure if it exploded in the UK in the same way that it did in America. I think that the success came from America really when it comes down to it. I think it's when they went over to the States and they did those early shows. Uh, now I can't remember the guy's name, but the really famous DJ in New York that had a TV show and the uh, Murray, the case, I think Murray, the case. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they, you know, I think suddenly they were doing tours and it was just, it was a synchronous moment where you had the hit, sort of hippie movement happening at the same time as this music that would, would could lend itself to to jamming as they we call it but improvisation you know yeah. and suddenly you're searching out this music in all these different ways it's kind of malleable and the interaction with these audiences and, and it just exploded you know but they were just kids so i don't know whether you know you throw drugs on top of that you throw huge success that they weren't prepared for. So I don't know whether, and you know, and also it's important to note like Ginger Baker was a a registered heroin addict before cream. Right. So, you know, he, uh, one of the provisors of joining, you know, it was, it was Ginger's idea for cream. And he went to Eric and said, do you want to put a band together? And Eric kind of said, yes, but it has to be Jack Bruce on bass. And even by that, I'm sure you know the story, but even by that point, Ginger and my dad had sort of been in those, couple of bands together and fallen out and um weren't kind of talking at that point so ginger had to go to my dad and sort of say oh well, eric wants you to be in the band and my dad <laughs> said all right then. because they all loved each other yeah. you know and they loved each other as musicians but for whatever reason ginger and my dad ginger would maybe he's like the the elder brother that had to try and act a certain way and my dad was like don't tell me don't tell me what to do <laughs> So I think, you know, I think there is all of those different dynamics going on. And Eric was 
uh, you know, and still is to whatever degree I would imagine a a musician that has a a preference to a certain kind of approach to music making. Yeah. I mean, the guy's a genius. It's not a criticism, but you know, he likes rootsy music. You know, he like it's essentially the blues, but he's much more than just that term. Oh yeah. But he likes roots music, you know, and and so Cream was suddenly this kind of jazz, like going off in these tangents that were a little bit like whoa for Eric. So I think for him, he probably like I think they all had. You know, my dad's like composing incredible pieces of music and not really being understood in that context and but wanting to expand and express in all these different ways i suppose like i do as well that's what i've inherited from him yeah whereas a lot of people in the business and musicians are like okay no let's just keep this really narrow perspective on things um so i think there was a lot of different energies conflicting and it was it was inevitable that it would implode. And by the end of the band, you know, so I was what the proviso that was that Ginger would have to give up taking heroin for the band to happen, which he did amazingly, gave it up. Uh, but by the end of Cream, he was not giving it up again. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I mean, I love Ginger. I mean, I've spent little bits of time with him. Obviously, it's Kofi's dad, and that's a whole different thing. But for me. I spent some really nice times with Ginger uh, over the years a little bit, the few times I was with him and, and it was a great honor to do this record. You know, he's on this record, Heavenly Cream. It's his final recording session. So That's amazing. And he played beautifully. But as you say, it's a completely different, it's not wailing solos and, and like, look at me and I'm wearing spandex. You know, it's not, <laughs> It's not that at all. That's it's a, I'm wearing really loose clothes, man. You know, <laughs> that should be subtitle this The Inevitability of Spandex. That should be the subtitle of this podcast. It's the post spandex era. <laughs> blues. Um it's a, a new Bob Dylan record. No, yeah. it's um no, I mean it's um it is I, I think just from that perspective, it's a lovely way of expressing the music because it's not it, you can. I think you're absolutely spot on saying that you can lose the songwriting, not just from the playing, but also just the context of blues rock, blues music. It comes. It's so codified, and in my opinion, way too codified at this point. Yeah, it, it's so much, so much potential that we're missing because of an expectation within musicians themselves, but also within the industry and. And the people jump on things that sound the same as everything else because they think they can sell something, but it just doesn't yeah. work anymore. We we've turned a corner. We need like the eighties. We always used to make fun of the eighties, but when you look back at the eighties, every single band is completely unique. You know, yeah. each one has their own sound, and and the singers were identifiable. Uh, the sound of their voices were identifiable, but now it's just so much, so generic, so much of music. You know, and and so many of those albums. There's so many different sounds going on. It's not, it's, it's, I think bands and artists were a little more willing to experiment still at that point and they weren't pigeonholed and you, you have to, you know, you've got this ridiculous contract. So now you have to sell so many albums to, you know, recoup that. So you don't owe the record company all kinds of money. So just stick with what sells, you know, they, there's more. I mean, that's a great. I know whether you saw the, uh, there's an incredible documentary, 30 Seconds to Mars, a documentary about those guys, oh, um, no. Jared, but um, 
with Irving Azoff at the time he was their manager, and they are in litigation with their record label. I can't whether, remember whether it's Sony or Universal, but they're kind of fighting them, and then they end up re-signing because they're making in the middle of making a record. But should we pay for it ourselves, or should we sign this deal? And the deal is like this eight thousand page document it's a great bit where he's like turning jared's turning the pages and signing like, what he's like. <laughs> but at the end there's a little text on the screen i think and it says you know they the album went five times platinum and they toured a stadium tour for 18 months and they still owe the record company you know five hundred thousand dollars and it's like well okay what? you know so so i mean it is it is a crazy business these days in that sense and so touring is the way to go if you can sustain that then you can make a living but oh, i think people do make money from spotify if you're if you can stream you know if you can get uh, i think it's uh, 3000 last time i checked which was probably 3 or 4 years ago now but i think it's something like 3 3000 dollars or 3 and a half thousand dollars per million streams yeah so, so if you got 10 million streams that's like 30000 if you've got a hundred million streams, that's three hundred thousand. You know, so um, so you know, if you're a, if you're an Ed Sheeran or a Taylor Swift or whatever, yeah. you're and and they, but then it it's such a strange thing because like, I mean, I noticed that with Ed Sheeran's not his most recent record, but he did a record which was duets with famous hip hop stars, like, and so every song had a different A list rapper or hip hop artist or whatever. So that meant that instead of it just being the Ed Sheeran stream on Spotify, suddenly they had all these other streams on Spotify. <laughs> okay, let's make a record where we can maximize maximize our streaming. Uh, he figured uh, out the, he beat the algorithms. Yeah, I mean, it's just, but it's a little bit cynical to make music like that. Oh, yeah. Because it ends up being like ringtones. And, and Ed, Ed's a very talented, he's a really talented guy and he's a really talented writer. But, yeah. but I have a, I just have a sneaking suspicion that because I've seen it, you know, it's so easy to become very cynical, you know, yeah. and go, okay, I actually let's, it's not art. Nah, forget about the art side. Just how much money can we make? And that's the first question. And then what are we going to do to make that money? And, um, you know, it's a bit of a cynical approach, especially when it monopolizes the majority of the market and other people that are trying to actually have a career gig kind of get, well, you know, I've got I've got to work at Starbucks in order to have a career in music. Yeah, especially um, for artists that maybe push the envelope and are trying to expand into different sounds and, and, and create something new and unique as opposed to somebody who's doing something that, well, this will sell. So, yeah. So Heavenly Cream, let's dig into this a little bit because it's got so many amazing people on it. And for a, an album that for the most part kind of eschews the jammy extended solo side of cream there's incredible musicians on it there's i mean you're on what 12 of the 15 tracks and you do a little bit of I'm, everything i think i'm on i think i'm on all the tracks actually but i'm not sure i don't need to check ah okay I checked for a while but i'm playing yeah i'm sort of in a supportive role playing bass guitar and, and vocals and and it's for okay, for example, let me let me get my notes back up here because one of the one of my favorite examples is uh, Crossroads. Okay, I should have I should have been able to pull that one out of my head. Crossroads, Bernie Marsden and Joe Bonamassa, but the song is 
just it's distilled to under three minutes. these incredible players and they're playing beautiful stuff but there's not the extended solos so it's i i really like how that kind of forces everybody to be a little more creative in different ways yeah i mean it's joe is an amazing guitar player yes it's like okay let's strip this down to the feel of an acoustic guitar playing the riff you know and um and his voice so it's more it's more focused on his his approach to the vocal, which is nice. It's lovely to, it's refreshing to hear somebody like him in a different context because he's always just wailing and he's brilliant at it. Yeah, you know, great guitar player, and he's got all the tones and uh, you know that's what him and Bernie were friends. They they both had guitar. Bernie had a very famous guitar collection that he had a book made out of. It. He had uh, the famous Paul Kossoff. Les Paul and oh, so they were sort of bond, they were sort of bonded over Les Paul Les Paul's really <laughs> uh, so you know no you're not allowed to play the Les Paul on this record right. um so uh, so yeah i mean it's just it's great it's like in a strange sort of way to putting people in a um a different context and seeing what they'll come up with yeah. but you know having said that they're both consummate musicians so it was it's not like the first time they played an acoustic guitar or something either. Right. So. One of the other things that I like about the album is that not every song is one of the, like the classic, I got to figure out where my hands are. With Zoom, it, yeah. I got to try, I'm trying to do air quotes and it's not working. My hand's disappearing. Uh, you've got like the green, you've got the green screen going on as well. Is I, that, does that just, does that, is that part of Zoom, your green screen thing? Yeah. Backdrop. Yeah. So I could have a backdrop as well. Yep. You can change the, your background. So what it does is it does a little depth of field thing. And then, so what happened is one time. If you go back, uh, you went back and then you disappear. If you go back too far, I think. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes. One of the weird, one of the, I, on one I had, I had this position terribly. So I had uh, this picture up with, with Maynard and Karina, but my microphone, which I don't know if you can, let me position, turn this a little bit. I, oh, wrong way. So my microphone is here, some somewhere. There you go. Oh yes. But it was positioned right in Karina's crotch by accident. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really bad. So you would see this big, like this big foam thing pop up right to it on purpose. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and then, then it would look like I was like leaning into her crotch to speak. So I was, it was just <laughs> terrible. So one of the reasons why I'm going to have to change this background at some point. Well, yeah. I mean, it's also having it's kind of. This is an F- SM7, so it's got it's that kind of iconic shape. But it isn't. Yes, it's a. It's a <laughs> phallic. It is slightly phallic. Mine, even just on its own. Yeah. You know. Mine. Mine is a Sony uh, from I don't know where. I was given this one. So I don't know. Oh, cool. <laughs> some some cheap like. $50 mic. But, that sounds good. So, all right. So not every song on this is one of the, the uh, big classic songs that you hear on classic rock radio, which like sweet wine. 
which I love that this version of Sweet Wine. It is so, yeah. it's one of my favorites of my album. Money, nothing funny. Sunshine day breaking We can wait till tomorrow Car speed road Calling bird free to leave Falling We can buy time song was co-written by my mother janet so um oh, wow she, she actually wrote the words and with ginger uh wrote writing the music so she wrote two songs with cream uh sleepy time time and sweet wine so yeah so it, i love the song i think um there's something amazing about the architecture of the song as well musically it's got a really interesting structure that isn't blues it's something completely different isn't it really i think it's yeah. kind of got it's almost like jazz or something. Jazz, yes. that dirty word. Yeah. But, um, but it's something very different. And I I think cream is interesting in that it does, there's a lot of diversity in the material, you know. So as you yeah. say, like some of those more famous songs, which are more bluesy. I mean, Sunshine of Your Love is like a blues in a, basically it's a blues. Yeah. The structure of it, harmonically. But yes, Sweet Wine is definitely something that stands on it separate from that and uh, you know we did have like that little middle section that we recorded where it is a bit of a jam and it's one of the ones that ginger's on so so that's really nice i wanted to say something real quick and i don't know if this will make it or not but you mentioned sleepy time time and i i love that song and that's when i when my wife and i had kids that's the phrase we would use because of the cream song that would to tell oh, them to really? go to sleep hey guys it's sleepy time time so no, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so no, cream- it is it, and it's the first song that it's the first original song that Cream had actually. Oh wow! Um, so my mum wrote the words and gave them to my dad, and he set them to music. And again, it's a blues, as you know, but it's a blues with a difference. It's got this, those little turnaround things. Yeah. It's really, really. Um, there's a lot of sensitivity in the music. It's 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 wonderful actually. Yeah, I love it's the song. song. So, so now my kids know sleepy time time and they, they, they'll use the phrase sleepy time time now. So fantastic. So, <laughs> all right. So back to the actual album, there's some other amazing people on it, like Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock badge. One of my favorite cream songs of all time. It's just do a killer version of badge. I love it. I love her voice. It's just, she's got this great rock and roll voice and, and oh, Peter's yeah. tone is just awesome. amazing actually i'm doing a podcast with her next monday we haven't done any together but apparently we're doing one together so that'll be interesting but yeah she's she's great and i guess we share a little bit of that thing of being related to someone famous and all of that stuff you know but she's wonderful yeah it's great that she she agreed to do it and peter's great he's a good yeah yeah i don't know him well but he was in a band with a friend of mine called terry 
there was a bass player who passed away sadly but terry was in a band with kofi in the 80s like when kofi first started out he had this band called zero three with a friend of mine called alan who i haven't spoken to in a little while but alan is a a cherokee native american indian living in northwest london oh wow <laughs> i don't even know why he's living in but i've known him since i was a kid you know i met him through kofi because he had this band with this guy terry and then i saw a picture somebody sent me a picture of um of a band you know one of these kind of classic rock band shots i don't think it was a brick wall behind them but it was close oh, you know? yeah. and, uh, and it was terry with peter bullock so you know so it's a small world as you know it really i was lucky enough to have deborah and peter on uh when their their last album came out so they they were just a riot it was just constant jokes it was hilarious yeah so, again back to the, to, to the outline, you know the reasons you're you're on here okay. How did this this project started in 2017, I believe, right? And that's about the same time your your solo album Salvation came out, which I thought was amazing. Take oh, me as I you. am. Uh, that that guitar riff, that's the kind of stuff that sticks in my head. So I love that song. Yeah, I mean, it was. I didn't really end up promoting it enough. Um, it was an interesting time for me. Like I'd fallen in love with a girl, and then we uh -oh. split up. You know, when you split up with somebody and then uh, you're kind of all heartbroken and all that stuff. And um, so I was a lot of that records about that, but I was sort of traumatized. So I didn't, f I, 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 can I make the record again now? Can we just record <laughs> it from scratch again and I'll do it better? <laughs> you know, I think, I think there's some really like compositionally, I think there's some really great stuff on there and the mixes are great. It's uh, Steve Orchard mixed the record. Steve uh, won a Grammy with, What's his name from Soundgarden? A uh, singer from Soundgarden. Chris Cornell. Um, Chris Cornell. I think he did a. I think it was this thing he did for the um, James Bond theme, maybe or something like that. But anyway, oh, okay, yeah. The, Steve is Paul McCartney's engineer. He's an oh. incredible engineer, um, and so he mixed the record. So there's a lot of things I'm proud about it, but I think this new record that I'm working on is going to be more of a kind of definitive statement and. I will get fully behind it. <laughs> it was also a really weird time. Like I did part of the funding for Salvation was through Pledge Music. Oh, um, yeah. And as I'm sure you know, Pledge Music, right at the moment they're supposed to cut me the final check, went bust yep. and owed everybody money. Now, mine wasn't like... I, I made enough to kind of help. It was going to go into promoting the record, and, you know, but it literally, as I'm about to do, all, get everything prepared and send it all out, bang, Pledge owes everybody money. They, yep. it, and that's, I'm sorry, sorry, we can't give you your money. And it's like, okay, yeah. thanks. Yeah, I have so, a couple uh, friends in the band Failure and they went through the same thing. They, through Pledge Music, it was their album came out and as soon as it, everybody's like, hey, um, uh, the album was supposed to ship uh, last week and I haven't gotten it yet. Anybody know it? And then failure had to go out and reach out to everybody and be like, okay, so we just found something out. <laughs> so the pledge music doesn't really exist yeah. anymore. I mean, I have a, I have a list of, um, I do have like a small list of people that they're still really owed some of the kind of higher end pledges. So, you know, but that's what I'll, I'll basically give them a bunch of free stuff on my next record just yeah. to kind of make up for it. But, 
Um, you know, there's only so much you can do exactly. with a situation like that. It's out of your control. I don't, crowd, I don't know whether crowdfunding has had its day. I mean, some people, if you talk to some people, they'll say like, crowdfunding isn't really the way to go anymore. But I still think it has a place. I think I think it's a really useful tool and even major labels use it. You know, just the idea of, I mean, even just pre-ordering. I mean, for this record, Heavenly Cream, people can pre-order it. Why the five-year gap between the start of the project and re- the release date? I mean, obviously we had a, you know, kind of a pandemic going on, but was that the only reason or was yeah. there anything else behind it? I, I don't really know. I mean, I think, I think a lot of it is to do with the pandemic. We, we, yes, they started talking about doing the record in 2017 and then we actually were in the studio in 2018. Okay. And, uh, Mark Waters, uh, a film director, he came and shot a, a sort of feature length documentary about the making of the project oh, and, wow. uh, with interviews and all kinds of stuff. So that's available for streaming. So I think that, you know, a combination of when you have a record and you, you go through the process of making a record and then you mixing the record and mastering it. So that's a, a, a little bit of a, doesn't have to take five years, obviously, but, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe a little, a period of time where you're, you know, you have a strategy or whatever, but if you're also making a documentary, then, then that that's a much bigger, in my experience, you know, uh, editing something uh, of that nature takes a lot longer than a record on its own. Yeah. So I think yes, by the end of, uh, I think by the end of 2019, going into 2020, we were hit by the pandemic, and I would imagine that that did affect the label's decision making. It was, you know, it's all down to the label choosing the right time. Maybe there were. Well, Quarter Valley is an amazing label. It's a, like a boot, a little label, but they have some great things. And they won the Grammy earlier this year with um, Edgar Winter's record. And so, oh, you know, maybe, awesome. yeah. So, so maybe um, the blue, the Grammy for blues. Um, so maybe the nature of that label is that they're kind of focused on one main project at a time, and they just thought, let's wait through the pan. I don't know how active what they were doing during the pandemic. I wasn't really paying attention. I was paying attention to. What was I paying attention? <laughs> I don't know. The wall. That's it. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, but I mean, it did. I think, you know, for that's the next podcast when we talk about all the conspiracy right. stuff, conspiracy yeah. facts, as I like to call it. I um, like it. <laughs> um, you know, but it was, it was a, a challenging time for all of us. And, and, um, so I th- I'm sure that had an impact on on why it's taken this long, and okay. it's unfortunate because we we have lost, you know, we've lost Pete Brown and Ginger, obviously, and Pee Wee Ellis has passed away, and Bernie Marsden literally left a few weeks ago. So yeah, so we've lost all those people that were a core part of the the project, which yeah. is a shame, you know. They uh, we can celebrate them, and you know, it's a lovely testament to their who they are and you know just a nice kind of thing to have you know in, in terms of their memory oh for yeah. sure and the album wraps up with paul rogers i mean that the, the thing that I, I love about paul rogers is that any he could do anything and it just sounds like paul Ro- a paul rogers song i mean who else can yeah. take born under a bad sign and make it their own i mean he's just got this smoothness to his voice even when he's belting it out and being real bluesy there's just still this smoothness to his voice it's just and and his his inflections you can you just know it's paul 
sign I've been down since I began to crawl If it weren't for bad luck I will have no luck at all trouble has been my only friend I've been on my own ever since I was ten Born on a bad side I've been done well that I think that's a mark of a great a great singer a contemporary singer I mean it's it's interesting that stuff isn't it like you listen to opera singers and you tend to not be able to distinguish in the same way that a pop singer and you can call call a pop singer in that sense he's a singer that sings popular songs right and i think all great singers of that nature you know that by their very nature they have that versatility you know the ability to sing within different genres and obviously paul is known for being this kind of singer yeah but he he's done a great deal of different things over over the years and you know again what's fun about this record is putting these people in in a different context perhaps i you know i imagine that paul like my dad and everyone as that kind of generation were growing up listening to you know albert king or whoever it was that was doing those songs you know so yeah. um so it's like the next generation along and and those were the things that they loved hearing you know i mean i i think the one one of the few times i impressed my dad was when I was in Nashville and I, I came back to the UK and saw him at Christmas or something. And I said, guess what? I, I got to spend two days working with little Richard in the studio, which I did. Oh, and he wow. was like, really? You know, because it was like those kind of people were the people that were famous when my dad was growing, when first coming through. Right. To us, it's like we're sort of separated by all these generations, but uh, I don't know who would it be that we would be impressed with. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 well, I got to work with Ed Sheeran. Yes. <laughs> in the studio. Really? Nice. Not very nice. Taylor no, Swift. Oh, he's great. They're all great. Everyone's great. We love everybody. Exactly. Everybody. <laughs> Even you, Bill. So, we love you, Bill. <laughs> We're just concerned that you don't love us. That's the, that's the problem. He he's an avid listener of this podcast. I will say. Okay, so. good. Well, if you're tuning in, Bill, we love you, but we're concerned that you don't love us. So you've got some other projects that you're working on in the future. You've got, like you've mentioned, the, uh, the new album coming out in 2024, and you're also a contemporary classical composer working on operas. Yeah. What what is What's up next for you? You got the solo album. Is that? Yeah, I'm still in the middle of creating it. I've recorded about 15 songs. Uh, I'm writing a bunch of new stuff. It's called Fake Humans and Real Dolls. There's, uh, you know, in my own way, like a, quite a lot of social commentary. It's just it's such an interesting time to make a record. All my experience of it right now is like, I'm always constantly reassessing what is it that I'm trying to say, you know, with a record like this and yeah. in at this time in my life and this time in history, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's such a crazy time. <laughs> As we were saying before, like, do we just stick our head in the sand and, and, and ignore what's going on in the appearance, the external, or do we somehow view it, but not lose ourselves and not get angry 
you know, these are the challenges, you know, how do we express things? How do we make the world a better place without hitting each other over the head with a hammer or, <laughs> or, um, shouting or saying I'm right and you're wrong. And like, what is going on here? You know, yeah. because, because we're like, we're a bunch of idiots. Yeah. We're, we're, we're embarrassing ourselves. The human race is embarrassing, you know, whether it's <laughs> racism or prejudice or, or, you know, ridiculous narratives that we buy into. And it's all just, none of it means anything. Or the only important thing is tolerance and the, the development of self-awareness, you know, and it, but it's not about saying this is right and this is wrong or like, who, who knows? There's no answer to that because the whole thing is subjective. So yeah. I think, you know, in terms of writing, that's how do we say all of that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. So I'm just kind of trying to, trying to figure it out as I go along. So yes, that's the most important pressing thing that I'm doing at the moment, but I'm also just practicing the piano and classical repertoire and I'm studying jazz and writing a, a jazz record for next year. Okay. Oh, which awesome. Probably end up being like a, a piano trio type thing, but that word jazz is a strange word as well. It, um, yeah. It depends yeah. who you mention it to. A lot of different reactions. Yeah. You know, it's not jazz, jazz. What? Oh, you mean it's jazz, jazz, jazz? Yeah. No, it's jazz, 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 jazz. You just, know, like, no, just, um, just jazz, jazz. Just jazz, jazz. <laughs> it's thinking people's pop music. No, it's not thinking people's pop music. It's unthinking people's pop music. I don't want people to think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've had too much of that lately. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm in the moment exploring. And, you know, really at the moment, to be totally frank, my priority is is meditation. You know, I practice TM meditation and that informs everything because that is allowing my mind to settle into the quantum level of experience, which then, oh. you know, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, um, it doesn't belong to me, you know, we're all, it's part of who we are, but we're all, most of us are functioning on this kind of superficial level and we don't understand the full experience of who we are. And then all the problems are starting. So I think yeah. if there's, the notion of responsibility, it's to get fully in touch with ourselves, uh, the full range of who we really are, because that puts everything into perspective and it can then inform action and behavior uh, in a much more spontaneous way rather than trying to do something or trying to maintain a sense of self that can sort of, that can loosen and fall away. And then it can just be what's happening, man. <laughs> uh, and you know that's so to me that's the priority really to kind of have that humble experience of the self mm -hmm. as a regular experience and then around that that will inform what i do in my life whether it's being kind to somebody else or communicating with people in a good in a healthy way not getting caught up in trying to be right all the time and mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff just, just be in my process and, um, of course, you know, I do have a large selection of automatic weapons and uh, a massive gate around my home. <laughs> Apart from that, it's all peace and love. Exactly. Peace and love, baby. I yeah. did read something that, which really fascinated me and I'm, I'm excited to hear it. And I hope you're, you're continuing to develop this is can you use folly? Yes. That based on, uh, Bowsey? Is that my pronunciation? Yes. Okay. Oh, I'm uh, my Chinese pronunciation is hopeless. I actually, <laughs> I did bump into a Chinese girl the other day, and we talked about it. And her, it, her, she's from Hong Kong, but but she's Chinese from Hong Kong, and um, 
so she kind of put me on because I was trying to explain, you know, you, what it was. And she's like, oh, I don't really. So then I kind of showed her online and she goes, oh, oh, she, you know, I can't do it. But like, yeah. it, no, it, I understand what you're saying. Right. <laughs> I don't think it's correct. So what we need is like, like we need Google pronunciation check. Oh, that's what we need. I, I think if Bill, if you're listening, can you put that out as an app, please, it, instead of genetically modifying my brain just instead of doing that could you just make an app for correct pronunciation i'm sure they must have it already oh yeah so what i'll probably do gpt so what i'll probably do is is, uh, i'll have google pronounce it and then i will overlay that over my pronunciation exactly you can just go back and you know fix it in the mix exactly but you are are still working on that then yes i'm actually i've got three libretti as we call them so three scripts that i've got developed that is the biggest one i also worked with a playwright who's passed away um but his pseudonym is is uh, peter wolf and we wrote uh, together we wrote a libretto about racism in louisiana in the south oh wow based on a, it's kind of a blues opera. It's been done a little bit before, but this is a particularly unique take on a c- contemporary classical music opera, but based on the blues. Oh, wow. And this guy, uh, I was reading, um, actually my family gave me a book of interviews with Studs Terkel. And Studs Terkel was a, a famous radio DJ in Chicago who died maybe died 10, 15 years ago okay. at the age of 102 or something. Oh. And he lived this incredibly long life and he was very left-leaning but he um used to interview all kinds of people so famous opera singers and obscure blues musicians and so one of the interviews in this book is with this guy called emmanuel dunn who was a blues singer but when he grew up in a white family in louisiana and he didn't really understand why but his but they didn't have he didn't have a name so the white then they were a farming family so the white father just used to call him boy, hey boy, you know. Yeah. But he, used to, but he would eat at the table with the two siblings who were white. But he was this black kid. But the father was really cruel, violent oh. towards him. And and there's this incredibly moving, awful story, like where the he does says the wrong thing, and the father straps the plow on his back and forces him to plow the field. Whoa. And so anyway, his, so his mother kind of gives him like five bucks and says run away so he literally ran away and he's like a nine-year-old kid oh my god he ends up living under a house a black family's house in louisiana he he goes through the the swamps and he survives and all of this stuff happens to him and he ends up living and he kind of befriends this girl and he names himself emmanuel and and teaches himself he builds his own musical instruments out of like rubber tires and all this stuff and taught himself to play music and sing the blues. And he's an incredible artist Good. and very obscure. So anyway, so there's, so that's a whole opera that I'm developing. And then more recently, I've just finished uh, another script on, um, based on an HG Wells short story called a story of the stone age which is people think of hg wells as a kind of future always looking into the future but this is looking fifty thousand years into the past in the south part of the uk when you could still walk through marshland from surrey england to france because there was a land there wasn't a sea there it was just marshland but yes it's a that's a 
kind of love story between two stone agents, as I like to call them. They're like stone <laughs> agents. And um, it's got singing, it's got singing horses and singing bears. And, you know, it's... Uh, Sounds amazing. So, yeah, just, um, like, I like the expanded sense of a palette and a big stretch of uh, a span of time to, to make some kind of statement. I, again, I'm, a, I'm just developing these ideas, but I'm really excited about them. And But it doesn't, you know, writing an opera takes a little bit of time. It doesn't... Oh, well don't get it done in a couple of weeks so that's what i've heard so i'm still yeah i mean i'm learning i'm just learning <laughs> as i go but but i'm excited about the process well these this sounds amazing and so and heavenly cream is coming out in fact by the time this airs it'll be it'll be out so what's what is the best way for people to find the album and and follow you on social media and, and keep it keep track of all your projects well yeah i'm uh, so that is, you can go on Quarto Valley Records. You can also go on propermusic.com and do a search for Heavenly Cream. That's uh, the distribution company. And it's all, um, you know, you can get the CD, the download. Um, I think it's November 24th, the double vinyl package is coming out as well. So if you're into that kind of thing, that's available as well. Um, I believe the documentary is already available to stream, but I don't have the details for where that is. Um, but that, okay. you, and you can, people can do a search for that. I'm sure it'll come up just, and that's called the cream acoustic sessions. That's the name of the documentary. And then for me, Malcolm Bruce music.com, but I'm also on all the social media sites, <laughs> Facebook, I'm also on X, formerly known as Twitter, and um, I'm on Instagram, and I'm also on Threads, man. Oh, yeah. I just made a, I just made a Threads account. You I, know, it's like really great. I, I did that so, too, and I, I don't ever use it. I was, <laughs> I've noticed not many people using it yet. Yeah. It's interesting. Like at the moment, every time I go on it, people, are, they write themselves a message saying, dear algorithm, please, could you connect me with, yes. uh, you know, like-minded people, people that like, uh, carrot juice, yes. people that, uh, <laughs> don't spread hate, people that communicate properly, people that don't steal people's money, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I, don't <laughs> I don't know if that works or not, but I have seen that too. So yeah, I haven't tried it yet, but, um, but yeah, people can find me I don't know. Everywhere, I'm omnipotent. Exactly. <laughs> everybody else, <laughs> and all all those links are on uh, MalcolmBruceMusic.com. So you, it might be an, a shortcut yeah. to finding that too. So, but this has been a blast. Thank you so much for spending so much time in the extending these sessions because I, I had so much fun. Oh, Mark, it's been great. Yeah, I'd love to do some more with you at some point. I would love Let's that. Put the world, put the world to rights, yeah. or whatever. We shall. city for the forest and further on painted wagons of the morning yeah dusty roads where they have gone sometimes traveling Summer coming home 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.